This, my friends, is an important conversation to tune into. I just finished an hour-long conversation. Yahya is an Israeli, an Arab, and a Muslim, and he's a proud soldier in the IDF. Even though he grew up in a country and he grew up in a neighborhood where he was taught to hate, he was taught to hate Jews, he was taught to hate Israel, he changed. And he became a lover of Zion and voluntarily enlisted in the IDF. He has spent 50 days serving in the IDF since this war began on October 7th. We had a fascinating conversation on what turned him around, what got him, if you will, to see the light, and how can many other Arabs living in Israel, whether they're Palestinian, Israeli Arabs, be able to embrace Israel and actually fight alongside Israel against evil, against terrorism. This was an incredibly important conversation. We spoke about also his dealings with other Arab countries. He's doing incredible outreach work in the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia in trying to tell the story of Israel from an Arab perspective to other Arab people. This is so important that we get behind and we talk to people, individuals like Yahya. There are not so many of them, although we spoke about that as well. How many Arabs are siding with the Jews in this war against Hamas? How many Arabs are actually killed by Hamas and want to see Hamas taken out of commission? We discussed that and also who should take over when this is all done. Please, God, when the IDF wipes out Hamas, who is going to replace, who is going to be governing that neighborhood, the Gazans living there after the IDF, please, God, very, very soon is successful in dismantling Hamas. Tune in for all these questions. Welcome to the Wildcast, everyone. Welcome, Yahya. I'm with Yahya Mohammed. Is that okay? Pronunciation? Not bad? Wonderful. Okay. So Yahya is Israeli. He is Arab. He is Muslim. He is a proud soldier in the IDF. Uh, grew up in Israel. And um, it's such a pleasure and honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for coming on. First of all, just tell us how you're doing. Um, how have you been doing since October 7th? Um, thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Um, October 7th was, that was a big, big surprise. Um, I woke up uh, at 6.30 a.m. Uh, to the uh, sirens, the rocket sirens. Uh, obviously, like everybody in Israel, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I immediately took it to the news uh, to see what was going on. There was no escalation. Prior to October 7th, there was a ceasefire on October 6th, as they say. So there was no reason for this to happen. And uh, I was surprised, like everybody else, taken aback. And I did not believe the pictures and the videos that were circling online. Uh, I thought it's uh, an edited footage, uh, sort of like a psych game, a psych warfare that was going on. Yeah. But unfortunately, it was. Uh, Inside a few hours later, and uh, I could hear the gunfire around my city. There was a whole battle around my city, and uh, it continued to it continued that situation continued for a few hours. Uh, I immediately got in touch with my commanders in the IPS, and uh, I started doing what I can. I uh, got up, I got a, a group of Israeli Arab activists to. Uh, Join in and uh, join the efforts. We have done some uh, interesting projects since 
But you were in the south when this took place, where you live? Uh, yes, I live in the south, a southern part of Um My city, like many other cities, was, uh, were affected. Um, there was a direct hit on my street. Um, and it was a big, big surprise. Um, a direct hit from a, from a rocket? From a rocket. Um, again, unfortunately, we became very desensitized. Than that, than the reality that an actual rocket could be landing on your street uh-huh. if rocket sirens are uh, going on. And that reality was shattered for me, for many Israelis, on October 7th, uh, for the people in the, in the communities near Gaza. Uh, even worse things have uh, happened. Um, let's just say that we will never be the same after October 7th. Yeah. And have you been, uh, I mean, have you been serving in the IDF? Like on yeah, absolutely, I, I've been I've been in the IDF for the past two months. I have served for um, fifty-two days to be exact. Not to give uh, many detail on uh, what I did, but uh, we, I did a lot of uh, uh, missions with the families of the kidnappings, um, especially the Arab uh, sector, and. <laughs> Just hearing uh, stories uh, over and over and their loved ones and just being with them and meeting them. You're walking to the family of the person who's a hostage in Gaza. Most of them are Arabs, so they were very, very surprised how this could happen and why could this happen. You remember meeting one of the family members, father of uh, of a hostage. And uh, uh, he was saying, he was like talking to me and saying, like, they kidnapped my son. He was like expressing his feelings. They ki- he said, kidnapped my son. He said he's an IDF soldier. There, he showed me a picture of him in Gaza. And this is another, this is another Muslim Arab. Another Muslim Arab Bedouin that, uh, that his, uh, his, his guilty charge was being at the wrong time running the uh, location. And uh, I could, I would just say, I'm very, I'm very confident in this statement, but the Israeli Arab community was shook up to its core by the, first of all, the attacks that were happening, the brutality of the attacks that happened, and second of all, to the victims, the Israeli Arab victims that fell alongside our Jewish uh, brothers. But this reaffirms uh, the thought that we, inside of Israel, Arabs and Jews, are considered one in the eyes of the enemy. And, and the, the fact that, I mean, I want to get into your personal story in a minute. Um, Yaskian, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. But just while we're on this right now, the fact that you are Muslim, Arab, and some of the others, it didn't matter, Hamas. They, they, because is that, what's their mentality? Is it because... You're, they consider you a collaborator. You're you're part of the Israeli system, and therefore you're guilty, as like all the Jewish people are. Or um, I'm just curious what uh, what their thinking is. The mentality is uh, very black and white. Uh, there was a constant. There is a constant demonization of the Israeli identity in Gaza and in the West Bank. So therefore, would they go into Israel? And they've seen the damaged communities in the near Gaza. When they go into Israel, they don't see human beings. They don't see 
you as a counterpart, they don't feel, they don't think that when when you get hurt, mm-hmm. you'll get hurt, like you feel hurt. Our feelings, our identities, our uh, religions uh, did not matter to the other side. They're very, very fueled by anger, uh, fueled by misinformation. And uh, these organizations are known for carrying, they have spoken for years about carrying attacks uh, in the most brutal way against our communities. And on October 7th, unfortunately, we got to see those words being translated into reality. Unbelievable. Tell us a little about your journey. Uh, You grew up in a place called Um Al-Fakham, and you somehow became a proud Muslim Zionist. Uh, which uh, to me is just so inspiring. And I'm sure to everyone listening to this, and tell us a little how this developed. Uh, I grew up in Umar uh, in Fakhim. is, uh, is uh, the third largest Arab city in Israel. Uh, it's with a lot of history. Umar uh, Fakhim, which in Arabic means the mother of coal, which was the main uh, economic uh, income to the, to the city, the Mecca uh, had many names, uh, many name changes. Uh, right now, it's uh, it's within Israeli proper. Uh, if living there is an Israeli citizen, Israeli Arab, uh, it's mainly Muslims. Uh, we had um, a small, small Christian community that unfortunately didn't find its place in the city, and I will explain why. The city was a normal city uh, up until the 90s. In the 90s, we had a, a political party called the Islamic Movement, uh, take the municipality elections, and this Islamic movement uh, ruled the city until 2015, officially. Uh, the Islamic movement right now uh, was labeled as terrorist organization in 2015. They had directized the Hamas, the terrorist organizations. But uh, to paint a very clear picture, they had uh, free control over right now for a few years, more than a few years. Unofficially, they still have a lot of network in the town. So I grew up in that town around swastikas that were drawn all over the town, around no education about Holocaust, no education about my Israeli identity, and no education about uh, history. In our history class, Rabbi, history would start from 1948. Who's living there? In other words, all the uh, Arabs that are living in um, in this neighborhood that you said was until 2015 was ruled by uh, this Islamic movement. So, is it are are you affiliating with the Palestinians? Um, you consider yourself Israelis, uh, or is it like a split? Yeah, where I come from is Umar Fatim, and the whole area is called what where the Arab has uh, most of the Israeli Arabs living there. Oh. Family in the West Bank, and I wasn't uh, an exception. My grandmother was uh, born and raised in the West Bank. Uh, she she comes from a refugee camp in Aden, uh, from my mother's side, and uh, I have family on the other side as well. Uh, most of them are uh, serving in the PA, the Palestinian Authority, and some of them are very high ranking in the PA as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And I grew up with a very very uh, strong Palestinian identity, so to speak. Uh, they told me that I am Israeli, uh, I am Palestinian, and I have nothing to do with Israel. Uh-huh. I my summer breaks uh, in this refugee camp. Um, I was uh, a part of it. I was a part of the society. I was no exception. 
Um, and uh, if I could just give a little spoiler of what happened in that path over here, I uh, went to work in Tel Aviv when I was in high school, uh, and I met a Spada rabbi. Uh, I met a Spada rabbi, and uh, how could you not? He approached me just before support, and uh, he started speaking with me and telling me how important it is to keep the mitzvot and uh, everything. And I was, I didn't learn Hebrew for the longest, actually learned Hebrew at the army only. Uh, So I was just shaking my head at the grave till he finishes. And uh, I expected a very, very negative uh, response uh, because I was about to break the news and tell him I'm not Jewish. Uh, when I did say so, uh, he said a very normal sentence. Um, but it kind of shattered my black and white education that I got about Israel and about the Jewish people. He looked me straight in the eyes and he said, Does it matter if you're Jewish? It really matters that you're a good person. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it goes without saying, but uh, for somebody uh, who grew up in Omid Fasim, who had this sort of education, same background, Suddenly, to see the other side accepting you for who you are, no matter what, as long as you're a good person, is a very, very uh, unexpected. Wow. It led me to rethink everything that I was taught. Uh, did, he get, did, he, did, did he give up on trying to get you to put on the tefillin? Because, you know, that's I what's ready. Say, I, I, I always say, they never give up. They always try. They always try. <laughs> Hebrew, I have thought. I have, like, uh, I have um, thought and deep roots. Yeah, and like an exemption. Exemption. I always say, yeah. and they ask why, and then I tell him. Which in fact, tell him. Right. Um, they asked me a lot when I was in the army. Uh, so I made my life's mission to go around the world. I, I, to be honest, put it more frankly, I was 16, 17. What did I know about the world? I didn't understand anything. I was a teenager. So I thought, this is an Omid Fasca mission. This, is, this stuff is only happening in Omid Fasca. So I started doing Israel education in Arabic. I started talking with my Jewish friends. I started re- learning about the, the different side of the conflict that I was never taught about. And uh, I realized that this was a worldwide issue. Uh, I realized that uh, learning the word anti-Semitism, that I knew that it, its meaning very, very long time ago from my upbringing. Um, and I've made it my life's mission to go around, share I was in where I am today, and how we could make that happen over and over again. Wow. Yeah. The point is very obvious. It's just by being a nice, accepting person to the other side uh, could change this whole debate. But so, could, like, continue to tell us your story. So, you were raised much more with a Palestinian identity than with an Israeli one, even though technically you were an Israeli Arab, right? So, what I mean, I can't believe that this one encounter when you were 16 with this Chabad rabbi changed everything. I mean, I, I give them a lot of credit, my Chabad rabbis. It, uh, it wasn't that I read him on Tuesday and by Thursday. I was right, right. So what, what, else, what, else, what else got you to, and I'm also curious, the reaction of your family, especially joining the IDF. So yeah, so I started speaking with my Jewish counterparts, with my friends. Okay. And they saw and the Arabs, the Arab side, are, is not taught about the Israeli side and the version of the of the events. Uh, the Arab side, right now, as we're speaking, I am sure that on Al Jazeera right now they're showing live 
footage from Gaza, and they have not broadcasted a single footage from the communities around Gaza that were, that were attacked over spent. That is the image that the Arab world is getting. They're getting only one side of the story. Uh, that didn't change since the time I grew up until today. That's why it's important to reach out uh, in Arabic and uh, to give Israel's side in Arabic. Uh, so I've made it uh, a very important mission for me to do that uh, worldwide uh, and use social media extensively to make our voices and our version of the story heard. And so yeah, it was a gradual change. And it just continued until I joined the IDF. Wow. And what inspired, what inspired you to join the IDF? Because, I mean, you weren't, the IDF does not draft um, Muslim Arabs or Arabs in general. Um, but, I mean, there are a lot of Druze that are fighting in the army. But I think your background is kind of rare to join the army, no? Uh, yes. Uh, there are volunteers who are considered volunteers into the IDF. But we do complete a full military service, just like everybody else. Uh, I called them um, a few times trying to join, and I was turned down twice. By the third time, I've gone through all the tests. It was like a conversion. It was. It was <laughs> uh, they really test your patience, and they really want to see if this is what you really want to do. Because once you're in, you're in. And um, I remember it was March 17, 2018. I was in South Africa during uh, some Israel activities on uh, the campuses in Johannesburg, and I got a phone call from the IDF unit. Uh, they gave me a 24-hour head notice. They asked me, can you draft tomorrow? Why? I drove to South Africa, and I flew to Israel, and less than 24 hours later, I would, would make a red bus haircut, and uh, that re <laughs> how, how long ago is this? is 2019? 2018, March. Is Wow. Uh, I drafted. Uh, it was a surprise. Let me tell you, because uh, I was being surprised. Um, you meet a lot of the people that you wouldn't keep outside of the IDFs. Uh, I was in the Nassau Infantry Brigade. I was. I thought I'm going to be the only Arab uh, in my uh, flip return. Um, I was with a Bedouin and two Gruzim to the thorn. Um, in the company, and uh, we were all like working towards a common goal. And uh, we had religious Jews, and we had the uh, non-religious Jews, people from down south, people from up north. But if you ask any single one of us, at the end of our uh, boot camp, uh, where you're from and who you are, and tell us about yourself, we would tell you our unit and our number in the platoon desk. Why? You're sleeping at the same hours, eating the same food, and doing the same mission. Suddenly, those labels uh, kind of start to trickle away. This uh, Muslim, this uh, Jew, this religious or secular, you are an IDF soldier, and the mission is to uh, defend the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. So for eight months, I finished my, my uh, boot camp, my advanced training, um, and we went to the Golab Heights. And then we went uh, and served for eight months on the Gaza border, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, it was the most interesting border that we were at. And uh, for the last four months of my service, I joined uh, the infantry school. 
School for Infantry, the IDF, and I was there towards the end of my service. And uh, after I finished, there was this little thing going on worldwide, uh, this little virus named Corona, whole world on shutdown. <laughs> uh, but uh, I got a phone call. Uh, I, can, I, decided, I decided to continue through like, my social activism and my, uh, my mission to educate other Arabs about it. Right now. Wow. Uh, I, I, want, I want to come back to that, your activism on behalf of Israel to your Arab brothers. Um, I want to hear, though, first, what was the reaction of your family, like your parents, your siblings, when you decided to join the IDF? Uh, nobody knew that I joined the IDF. Uh, I was drafted, uh, as I said, as a, as a surprise to me. Uh, and by the time that I drafted the idea, uh, I was not in contact with my family due to the immense uh, pressure that they were facing in the town. Uh, I left the town many years ago, but my family still lives there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there was an ultimatum, either you stop or... You know, then, uh, so I decided, I said, I will not stop. This is the path I have chosen for myself, and I will continue doing it. And uh, I mean, when you, when, when, who gave you this ultimatum, if I can ask you? Uh, it, it, was, it was my mother. It was my mother, very justified. Uh, something happened. Uh, the people on the other side, they don't attack you. They attack, they try to attack me physically, but. They know me and my values, and I will not stop. That's not new to them. So they targeted my family. They uh, chased after my sister out of her workplace and tried to physically attack her uh, just because she was my sister. And uh, my mother gave me that ultimatum because, uh, as we all know, honor and dignity and family respect is, uh, is a big, big part of the, the Arab culture. Sure. And uh, putting that honor at risk, because again, Israel activism is not uh, really discussed in the fashion. So the need for it was not uh, not on my mother's uh, radar, or my whole family's radar. It's like, why? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's not very clear. Uh, So then I was given the ultimatum, and I chose to continue in my paths today. after I joined the IDF, I was considered a lone soldier. Um, and part of, the, part of how you get recognized as a lone soldier is they call up your family. Mm-hmm. Company commander called up my mother and said uh, that I am in the army now and asked her if she'd be in contact with me. And she said that he got the wrong number because her son did not join the army. So he broke the news to her and said, I joined the army, and he would really appreciate it if she comes and like joins me on my tickets, on my service, in uh, the advanced training. And she did come. She did. She come. did. Oh wow! With the, with my uncle, uh, there's a video of us uh, celebrating. Uh, so, so so this ultimatum that your mother gave you was, I mean, she was just basically forced to do that. She was okay. I'm just, I guess I'm asking if this is too personal. I'll I'll stop asking. No, it's, it's, I'm ha- I'm happy to discuss just to give the the world a better image. We often ask why there isn't a lot of Arabs speaking for Israel. We've got to understand what the price is. Uh, family is pressured almost to a halt. Uh, people were fired from their jobs. Uh, children attacked, almost kicked out of schools. 
only because I'm speaking to you and uh, sharing my personal experience. Uh, this is a little thing in the Western world over here in the Middle East. If you don't go again, if you go, if you don't go with the flow. It's uh, it's a death sentence. It's not uh, it's not very uh, a light thing to do. Uh, that's that should not be normalized and that should not be overlooked. I mean, were you concerned that it would be dangerous for your family if you? I mean, was that a an ethical dilemma that you were in in terms of you know your value system? You wanted to join the IDF. You wanted to serve, protect Israel, but. Would that have put your family in harm's way? I know that uh, it would put uh, me personally in my harm's uh, way and my family as well. Um, I did not expect it to be such a thing because uh, activism from the other side, the side that's advocating for the Palestinian is welcome in my community. Palestinian activists and you advocate uh, and share the narrative that they share, then you are very, uh, very supported and loved. Sure, sure, I imagine so. Um, did you feel like it was putting your family in harm's way in any way that by, by joining the IDF, that uh, this decision to defend the state of Israel would somehow, it could be dangerous, God forbid, for your family? I didn't imagine that I would get to this. I imagine there will be some resistance. Uh, but uh, they've made me, they've demonized me in the town in many ways that I've never imagined. Again, having, having the tolerance to living next to somebody with different opinions than yours should be in the skill book of most people nowadays. But unfortunately, uh, some of that uh, tolerance did not reach uh, a few people in Omen Sassim. And uh, we see it more and more... Uh, as well, unfortunately, reaching uh, U.S. campuses and uh, uh, countries in the West that uh, we see different opinions being uh, faced, uh, not with uh, other different opinions, but with just and uh, punches, which is very unacceptable. Shows only the fragile uh, ideology of the other side. Uh, this should not be normalized. This is not a, a reality that should be accepted in any way. Uh, not to go into details, too many details, but family members were chased after on the streets. Uh, people fired from their jobs. They tried to fire, not fire, they tried to kick out uh, my cousins, uh, my uh, uncle's kids from school. That's based on the fact that he came to my uh, the racer. That was that was the thing. It was very unacceptable to celebrate such a such a an exact uh, and to be shown public. That is the key point. You could celebrate it in secret, like you're crying, but as soon as you celebrate your Israeli identity in uh, in public, it's uh, it's like committing a crime. And and so your family was personally supportive of this. I mean, you you said your mom came to your tekes to the ceremony at the IDF. You just mentioned your uncle, so they were supportive. But it was more the community. It was more um, the neighborhood in which you live, the the leadership, the Arab leadership there. They were the ones that were coming down on everyone. Uh, yes, it painted very clearly. The biggest Zionist, bigger than me, Nobel Sashim, was my grandmother, that uh, she was born in a refugee camp. 
when the whole town was after my blood, uh, she put the biggest Israeli flag on her door and said, when Israel ruled the West Bank, our situation was much better. And I did not, she was speaking about me, she said, I did not do anything wrong by doing the IDF. And the moment I went to see, the moment I saw my family again, uh, after I joined the IDF was unfortunately when, when my grandmother was not feeling well. She was on the days on her uh, bed in the hospital. And uh, when I walked into the room uh, on uniform, and after, uh, after uh, some uh, very uh, long uh, months of training, uh, my, most of my family did not recognize me. Most of them just glanced at me like a stranger and then turned their heads away not know who walked into the room. Um, and that's when she saw me, my grandmother, and she started uh, hugging me and kissing me. Oh my gosh, wow. That's amazing. But was that rare for your grandma? This is your mother's mother or your father's mother? My mother's mother. We had some supportive people. Again, I'm, I'm sharing my experience here so the world understands that it's not that the uh, Arabs still want to advocate for Israel, and Arabs don't know that killing civilians is not all right, and et cetera, et cetera. It's that we have to understand that by taking this step, individuals could be facing this and, and even more. Again, I'm an Israeli Arab. I live in a democratic country. This is what's happening to me. You can imagine what goes on if somebody in Jordan or Lebanon did the same step. You would be, as we say, behind the sun within less than hours. Wow. How, how, you know, you're speaking, I mean, this is such a breath of fresh air, I, I can't even tell you, and I'm sure if everyone's listening to this, uh, Yahya, like, but how rare are you? I mean, how many others are there like you? And how I do ask, we, and how do we replicate you? I, mean, how do I we ask make myself, I asked myself the same question. I was on guard duty around 3 a.m. in the morning, and I asked myself the same question. I can't be the only one. I said to myself, I can't be the only one. They started looking for more Arabs that joined the army specifically, and I found many. Found many that did join the army. I found a girl. This is a true story. Mm -hmm. They does some really uh, intense googling. Been kept the image that I'm about to talk about. I found a Muslim girl with head covering. That is an idea of combat zone. Wow. There's a picture. With, there's a picture of her on Google with a hijab wearing. Ew. And the idea of combat red boots waiting at a bus for her bus. She's from a Muslim town. She chose to go and be a combat soldier. Again, she did it all in secret because uh, supporting Israel is frowned upon. They found people uh, as well from Abel Fahim who have joined the army and uh, did military service. And I helped people draft into the army and do national service not just IDF service. There are more. Uh, it's just, again, you can support Israel and love Israel in secret. If you do it but publicly. And, 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 and any idea, do you have any numbers for us? How many Muslim Arabs, um, Israeli Arabs are, I mean, because there's no draft for Israeli Arabs. And as you said, you had to be, you were turned down like twice. You kept calling and, you know, it was like when, Someone tries to convert to Judaism. That's what we rabbis do to them. We put them through that a little. Like, um, I mean, is any any numbers? We we never release. It's uh, again the idea. Uh, 
react react to the soldiers as well. So there are some sure. look at the numbers of IDF soldiers that are is never released. It's all classified information. But I have a number for you. I know you want a number, and I have a number. Uh, we're looking at 5,000 uh, minority, around 5,000 minority soldiers. And from those 5,000, including the Druids, we're looking at 1,000 Muslim uh, IDF soldiers. Out of these 1,000, we're looking at around 15 to 30 uh, lone soldiers, uh, Muslim Arab lone soldiers in the army. And, and you're, alone, you're, alone, you're called a lone soldier, even though your family is in Israel. You know, I have friends who are lone soldiers because they're from New York and they enlist in the IDF. Um, but are all those the Druze are they, are they considered lone soldiers, or was it just the Israeli Arabs, like those fifteen to thirty that you were saying? Uh, some of the Druze are considered lone soldiers, but the Israeli ones, the Israeli soldiers, technically speaking, we have, the IDF has a term for us. It's called critical lone soldier. So the 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 olives at the shim that come to Israel are considered uh, lone soldiers, and we're considered radical lone soldiers. Wow! Because we have no no families of no circles of of support. So if you you could end up on the street very very easily, and uh, to be a lone soldier is, is a label that should tell the person in front of you as a Muslim if you're lone soldier as a Muslim. Is that you come from a place that usually people don't draft the IDL. So you got no aunt and uncle to go to if you uh, if you uh, don't have a place to go to on the weekend. So that's why they label us different. Just, critical, um, critical lone soldier. Critical lone. I mean, I imagine it's critical because a typical lone soldier, like I don't know, Jew from South Africa, New York, Paris, right? The family or the community from which they come is proud that they're serving. Right, so they may not have physical family in Israel, so they're a lone soldier, but they're not a critical lone soldier, where you have both, you know, the, that that um, you have your family in Israel, but they, but they they can't be supportive, or they're choosing not to be supportive. So just the numbers again: five thirty five thousand minorities, minority soldiers, I would say, and a thousand of which you're saying are Muslim. Um, but that includes the Druze, and it does not include Druze. Thousand Muslims. Thousand Muslims. Uh huh. And 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 where was this fifteen to thirty? I'm sorry to keep hocking away with the number. Fifteen to thirty is the number I could get from uh, some idea official when I asked. I was looking for Muslim soldiers, so I I been reaching out to people. It's the number I got from an idea official. Uh, who who are, who are not Druze or um, some of the no, none of them are Druze. Some of them are Bedouin. Well, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, most critical load soldiers are Muslim uh, or Sarabi. Surprisingly, right? I know that. Sorry, yeah, that's crazy. That's really, really crazy. And tell us a little. Um, I, I, um, tell us a little about the advocacy. How are you being received in the Arab world? And tell us, uh, to the degree that you can share, who are you talking to? Because uh, obviously you give a lot of comfort to us in the Jewish community, but um, the people you really need to be preaching to, obviously, are, are other Muslim Arabs. Who are you talking to and how are you being received? 
Okay, well, we're talking to Randley, Randley, the Gulf country, our biggest ally uh, in the Arab world right now. Um, I saw a chart that anti-Israel, anti-Israel organizations have prepared of the Zionist Muslims Twitter. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia has the biggest chart. Twitter accounts uh, of Arabs advocating for uh, Israel or like embracing the Israeli side. Wow. We're advocating. We're speaking a lot to the Gulf countries, to Dubai, to Bahrain, to Saudi Arabia. We're using social media. We're using social media. Uh, we're using uh, all tools that are available to us. Uh, we're reaching out in uh, Arabic mainly. Not only uh, translating an English script to Arabic and going and saying that on camera, that obviously doesn't work. Um, we have uh, uh, we have uh, a Middle Eastern uh, we have a Middle Eastern uh, 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 expert. Uh, he was viral on Israeli uh, TV for saying the following. He said, "Don't bring sushi where they eat hummus." It's uh, exactly they're exactly the situation over here. So we are speaking it Middle Eastern with Middle Eastern slang, with Middle Eastern words, with Middle Eastern meanings. We are at war, and we need we made sure the other side understands this very very clearly. We will not allow them to forget because a lot of the media and the Arabic media outlet are trying to get the Arab mind to forget what happened on October 7th. And they're trying to paint this as another conflict that happened between Jews and Arabs. This is not another conflict. This is the war, the real war. Arabs and Jews were affected by it. And this terrorist ideology uh, will put the Middle East towards on a path to destruction. We don't eject it. This cancerous body that is called Hamas has same ideologies as ISIS, even more. And we have seen what ISIS did to Syria, to the people of Syria, and the Gazans are uh, suffering no less. Uh, even since the beginning of the war, I was watching the situation in Gaza very, very clearly. Um, two years ago, for those who haven't heard, Gazans took it to the street to make their voices heard against Hamas. Thousands of Gazans took to the street and they were shouting in Arabic, we want to live. And live they shall. Inshallah, after this war ends, we will wipe Hamas and make sure that peace is restored and there will be no threat coming to Israel from that uh, area anymore. And the uh, balance will be restored and the victims will be avenged. Everybody, everybody who is in charge this planning this deadly attack will be, uh, will be persecuted. And the, the arm of justice will reach them uh, sooner than later. Amen. Amen. Yahya, I have two more questions. Um, first of all, that's amazing that you're talking to these other Gulf states. Because in my opinion, and I'm not a Middle East expert, even though I did study some of this, back in graduate school, um, that Iran is pushing Hamas to do this now to disrupt the whole Abraham Accords because Israel and Saudi Arabia specifically were getting closer to a peace deal. Are you speaking to Saudi Arabia specifically and its people? Uh, do you see there that there could be a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia and Israel? Peace is inevitable. We have to reach our peace uh, agreements. Um, 
we could talk about we could talk about this on a very involved with Abraham, of course. Uh, with the current organization I work for, Diploac, uh, where I work as a project manager, uh, we were invited uh, to the UAE uh, before the peace agreements uh, were finalized. We were the first Israelis uh, to enter the UAE to meet the people of the Emirates and to show them wow. Arab sign. The people there were very welcoming of us, feeling not changed. Uh, when we say the Arabs in the Arab countries, we're talking about a nation so massive, where just to paint it, uh, to explain it very briefly, no matter how Israel is tiny, it's a tiny, tiny country. We have 85 different dialects of Arabic, just only in Israel. And it gets so severe to the point where I don't understand the other person, even though we're speaking Arabic. Wow. So overall, it's very massive. The Gulf countries, what makes them unique from other from the other parts of the Arab world, is that they are very anti-extreme, very very anti-extreme. Hamas and Iran and all those back the proxies that are backed by Iran. We don't even need to tell them that these are proxies backed up by terrorist uh, organizations. Uh, they know it and they reject it, and they know that Israel is not fighting. Um, a, a resistance movement. We're fighting a terrorist movement, and they know that by fact. The same group uh, that is called Anfuthi in Yemen, yeah, is firing rockets currently at Eilat, has fired rockets at Saudi Arabia, and has fired rockets um, at Kijula at Mecca. We have fired rockets at Mecca. We don't need to have a debate uh, with the Gulf countries that these terrorists should be stopped. Uh, they not felt it on their skin uh, a few years ago. They know for a fact that Iran is not a friend or an ally in the region. And, and, and is that one of the reasons that you are trying? When I asked you, like, who are you reaching out to? I thought you would spend more time trying to reach out to fellow Palestinians living but you're spending more time with the Gulf states, you're saying. We're spending more time with the Gulf states uh, for uh, it's a strategy that we follow because um, I am labeled as an Israeli Arab. I'm labeled. There's a word Israel. <laughs> but he's from the UAE speaking for Israel. And that's uh, less of a label. Uh, not to go to many details, but we have many, many allies in many, many countries. And uh, Twitter has turned to be the forefront of the battlefield over the, uh, the Indian war, uh, we have seen uh, many Arabs, non-activists, not talking about, we're talking about your average Joe in Egypt that is woken up on October 7th, just like us in Israel, and saw the picture that Hamas has committed. And the Arab world knows how Israel will react. Hamas knew how Israel will react. And they have just been in a state of shock. The amount of people uh, that were shocked on October 7th is not limited to the people of Israel. The whole Middle East was shocked. And the Arabs knew that there will be a reaction. They know that Hamas is going to lead to the destruction of Gaza and the responsibilities of Hamas. So you saw, if you go on Twitter, October 7th, if you go on Twitter, uh, there's like a space, like a, like a, I have a, 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 a Phone, I don't know, phone, Zoom kind of thing, a conversation space. And they were all talking against Hamas. 
people that were saying, and I quote you, I just went into one of the spaces and I had listened. People were saying, like, we're not the biggest Zionists, we're not the biggest supporters of Israel, but seeing people shot and killed in their own house, this goes against Islam and burning and raping and uh, kinta. How come we? How come we haven't seen? You know, we could so use this. I can't even tell you, Yahya, how much we could use. Arabs coming out and saying, like someone from Saudi Arabia or someone from Bahrain, or like, how come we don't hear that? Are they afraid to speak up too? They, they, they are, they are not, not afraid. Fear is not a, is not a thing that is considered first with people uh, that voice their opinions from the Arab world. Uh, it is not concern. Uh, it is not fear. It's only the doubt. How they would be accepted. How they would be accepted. Remember my conversation with the rabbi. I was mm -hmm. how I would be accepted. That is the only thing that goes on right? every Arab's mind. And with Arabs. Even 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 Sunni states, even Sunni Arab states like Bahrain and, and the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. You're saying that people there are reticent. They are also reluctant to, to, to condemn Hamas publicly and to show support and sympathy for Israel for being attacked. I mean, maybe less you're sitting less, less there. I'm talking about Jordan and Egypt. Are oh, yeah. Immediate, well, that I immediate neighbors. I, I just want, I just want to, to finish on this point. I hear a lot of uh, generalization. Of the, of the situation in Gaza. I hear that uh, uh, many uh, people are very against um, differentiating between the terrorist and the civilian. And I just want to say here to the world that not differentiating between the civilians of Gaza and the terrorists in Gaza is exactly what Hamas wants. Hamas wants us to demonize the people of Gaza. Hamas wants us to Harm the people of Gaza, and we only work according to our values. Now, our values did not change. On October 7th, our values still this, are still the same. And uh, I hope that people take this point with them from now on. It's, it's our, it's, it's, um, listen, we want to believe that. I want to believe that. As a rabbi and as a Jew, I want to believe, and I have. And, but the problem is the data that keeps coming out. Well, these uh, I don't know polls that's showing like something like seventy-five percent of uh, of Gazans are supporting Hamas. Very hard to tell what the heck's going on because I'm sure a lot of them have been brainwashed since they were children to hate Jews and to support Hamas, or maybe they're afraid to speak out. I don't know. There's all these possibilities. Um, also, what uh, unfortunately happened, as we know, I don't know what the numbers were, but we know that it wasn't just Hamas that came in and attacked. There were civilians that came in and attacked, and, and, and the footage that we see when, when some of the hostages were paraded around, some in the nude, that it wasn't just Hamas cheering on, it was others. Now, how many? There's still over 2 million, you know, Gazans. I mean, I, I, I don't have any real figures, so it's hard to tell. We're sitting here, and I will tell you, we have a, a concept in Judaism, and I think Jews do this in general, to be malamed zuchot, to give people the benefit of the doubt, and to always bend over a little to... To, to, to find that good, that, the goodness that lies within all people. We believe in that. So we're looking, we're desperately looking for that. And we want to continue to make that distinction. It's just sometimes you hear other things, you know, and you see stuff. Further, 
look no further than than our street in Israel, the Ministry of Defense and the IDF. IDF has struck tens of thousands of targets in Gaza and has carried tens of uh, of assassinations of Hamas leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, not to go into the details, mm-hmm. we have people on the ground risking their life during a, an active war zone, giving us intel on how to achieve our mission. We should not be blind to those people. If those people were not recognized, we're not, not, I'm not saying send them to the U.S., put them on a plane and send them to the U.S. I have, I have known people from Gaza. I have friends in Gaza for the 13 years. I'm talking to my friend uh, who is only, uh, I don't know, and his only like, uh, important thing in his life is his family. This is a normal Gaza that goes to work. This home. Now, I'm not, he was not one of the people that participated on October 7th. He's not one of the people that celebrated. He's not one of the people that this Hamas wants us as Israel to demonize those people. And we should, we do not work. How dare you? Hamas does not decide for us. If we're friends, <laughs> not decide for you and me if we're walking on the street. For you to take the other side of the street. On October 6th, you don't change side of the street. But on October 7th, you change side. No, terrorism does not decide for us anything. We Beautiful. And it's done. Islanders are still the same. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you restoring some of our faith in some of the people in Gaza. We don't know the numbers, but we, we have to be grateful to those who are helping the IDF. And... Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate you clarifying that. I, I want to ask you another question. Um, God, I would love, Yahya, for you to be able to make inroads in Israel itself. You know, what would it take for you to be able to do that? Like, is that safe for you? Is it easy for you to talk to, you know, people in Saudi Arabia and in the, in the Emirates, in those countries? By the way, that's incredibly important because even if the governments of those countries are predisposed towards positively, favorably towards Israel, the people. We always need the people having that connection. So what you're doing is, is God's work as far as I'm concerned. Just wondering how you, you could, uh, how we can help you magnify your impact in Israel itself amongst your, your Arab brothers, you know, our, our cousins. Uh, we we uh, in Diploat have many, many programs to enlist and integrate the Israeli Arab society into the bigger Israeli society, including education, uh, job opportunities, and uh, Zionism. Uh, Zionism is a, is a very big part of our Israeli identity, uh, and that's what we do. We work with many, many youth initiatives to educate uh, our Arab uh, brothers about uh, the history that is before 1948 and uh, uh, the Jewish traditions and the holidays and stuff. And suddenly the name of the Jew will have a face, will have a name, will be on the friends list, will be on the, your, uh, in your contacts number. And this is how we achieve peace. We have Beautiful. to tolerate one another. We have to, we have to live with one another at the end of the day. Obviously, the Arabs are not going anywhere. Obviously, the Jews are not going to go anywhere. This is 
this is the Middle East. And I was, I was, I was looking at Anil, actually, just to, just to finish on this uh, light, light uh, point. I was looking at Anil, of, uh, the previous uh, chief of police. And obviously, he's, he's, he's with the Yemenite-like backgrounds. So uh, he, he looks just like me. Uh, have Yemenite backgrounds, and uh, they were putting the picture of the spokesperson for one of the terrorist groups. And obviously, not as like a comparison. And I was thinking to myself, "This is we're both from the same like region. We're both from the same area. This Jew and Arab and Muslim and stuff. It doesn't apply. Like we're all from the same region, uh, and we are more connected than than I would uh, I can explain than my English." <laughs> Now, that's amazing. And that's, uh, you know, I'm tempted to just end this discussion on that because it's such a positive note. And I'm hoping that we can find our common humanity and not only a common humanity, but our common religion. I mean, there's so many similarities theologically, spiritually between Muslims and Jews, between Islam and Judaism. It's just, it's such a shame. I've been telling this to so many people. It's such a shame um, about, you know, how we could be working together. And I'm so hopeful and inspired by the, by the Abraham Accords that they continue to build. You know, I, I have a, a very specific question, and it, it was triggered a little by when you said that you have family in the West Bank, well, you know, what we call Yehuda Shomron. Um, do you think, I mean, what do you think is the future? Who do you think should be running and ruling the Gaza Strip after this war is over soon, after you, together with the rest of the IDF, are successful in destroying Hamas and taking Hamas out of commission, how do we make sure who should be in charge that, in your opinion, can make sure that another October 7th can never happen again? And not only that, but that somehow a new generation of Arab people can be raised without hating Jews. Well, it's talking about the day after. It's a, it's a conversation that we're having right now. Um, the who is less important. The name is less important. It's the economy that we're about to build, that is about to develop in Gaza. It's the future that they can build for themselves, maybe with our help. Uh, and it's the it's uh, the education that will spur out uh, after this work. He would lead this uh, change is less important because if one of those three pillars would fall, we would be ending the same cycle. We would end in the same cycle. Uh, so that's three things that we should be focusing on. The name and the person who should be ruling is, is different. But who, 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 in your opinion, can bring about those three things? Who, in your opinion, can revive an economy? Of change radically. It has to be a radical change of the education so that the next group that ends up governing Gaza, that's the, they're not Hamas, it's some other group, but it could be with a similar ideology of hate. Who would as, as Israel, as Israel, we need to make sure and keep a close eye on the, on the on power play that's happening in Gaza after the war. Do you think Israel should, should control it then? Uh, that's not, it, not just, it's not the word control maybe doesn't uh, do it justice. It's, uh, we need to make sure that for the sake of the Gazans, again, I say Gazans have been living in terrible conditions since Hamas took over. For the sake of the Gazans, because 
those terrorist organizations create uh, an environment of poverty. That's how they flourish. Uh, so for the sake of the Gazans, we need to make sure that they are they have a good representation, people leadership who's actually worried about the, the Gazan. And we learn from what happened in 2005, 2006, and we watch the steps of how uh, things started going downhill. We need to make sure that they don't happen again. Uh, the power in Gaza got shifted to human characters. Uh, those main characters stopped caring about the people. The poverty line started um, drastically going up. Uh, Hamas gained a lot of popularity. Uh, Fatah was uh, dismantled. To be, they, they couldn't uh, they couldn't decide on a political uh, on political uh, representative, etc. etc. Do you think Do you think that Fatah could be uh, trusted to govern? No, obviously Fatah is not to be trusted at all. Fatah's not came out with uh, many, many statements that instead of even, look, I we discussed how the Arab world distancing themselves from Hamas, that the leadership has actually closed themselves with Hamas. They said one of their, I can't, don't remember who it is, he said Hamas is part of the whole uh, Palestinian image or something along those lines. Uh, this, is, this is a saying from a person that doesn't give uh, any care to the Palestinian future. To somebody who doesn't care, or doesn't care how the average Palestinian work, what they eat, where they sleep, how is they're doing uh, financially and emotionally. Um, no, these are people that should not be trusted. Uh, I, I think we live in a very interesting corner of the earth. Uh, everything could flip in a matter of seconds, as we saw, fortunately. Uh, and I think advancing to such advanced questions to who should, or what will uh, or is it is a bit disconnected from reality? We're talking about a day by day survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, some place, no, I hear you. I hear you. I, and I, what? Well, tell us the name of the organization. I know you mentioned it a few times. My apologies. What's the name of the group you're working with? I work for an organization called Diploact. Diploact is all about uh, elevating. Diplo. So D I P L O. Diplo yes. Act. Yes. Okay. Uh, we work on elevating Israel's image. We do believe that also education in Arabic is very, very important. And we have many, yeah. many projects, uh, and not just advocating outside of Israel. We do a lot of work inside of Israel as well, because what we broadcast to the world is our internal image in Israel. So we empower Israel's minorities. We integrate them. Uh, we bring them closer and closer to their Israeli identity, which is very, very important. I wish we had a people act uh, brand in Aleppo, and it would have uh, changed the lives of many, many people. Well, I, I want to I wanna get a little involved, if I can be of any help, um, with propping up the Blow Act, because um, I think the work you're doing is incredibly, incredibly important. I have tremendous, tremendous respect, Yachia, for what, you do, what you've done for the Jewish people, for the state of Israel. And I know you're not just doing it for the Jewish people, you're doing it for your Muslim brothers and your Arab brothers and sisters. And I commend you for that because that's the future. No one's going anywhere. We are here and either we're going to figure out a way to make this thing work together or it's just not going to happen. And um, there, we should, well, your, your, optimism, your optimism is very, very inspiring, I have to say. And I, 
I give you my, my yarmulke, my kippah is off to you. And really, I think it's incredible. Yeah, I, I wish you and your family um, just the best. Hashem should bless you. God should bless you with continued success, with good health, with, with safety. It should continue to fight um, on behalf of the IDF with good health and just blessings for you and your family. What you're doing is, is just, I, I, don't, I don't even have words like what a spiritually high level you are on as far as our Torah and Judaism is concerned uh, to be able to help uh, the way you're helping and not, and, and not just getting us out of this you know, terrible war that we're in now and, and helping us be successful against Hamas. That's one. But doing something broader down the road to, to create the kind of peace that could really be everlasting. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope that we can continue our association. This was a great honor for us. Allah, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you for having me. Thank you.